Mike gave me the opportunity to preach tonight, to teach, and uh, I was praying about what to teach, and I wanted something simple, you know, just the simple message, the gospel, and so, you know, okay, so that's an easy one, so, yeah, that's an easy one. Isaiah 61, I'm going to do one through three, and so I thought, oh, yeah, this is great, and then I start getting into it, and I study a little more, and then I go, wait a minute, Lord, you might have misdirected me on this one, because... There were things in there, you know, that we've been dealing with as a church. But the one thing I do like about Calvary Chapel is we never shy away from the whole counsel of the Word of God. So, yeah, so I got into it. The good news of salvation. It's like, this is great. Simple. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Uh, Because I'll read the whole thing. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to counsel those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Just absolutely beautiful. And it really dovetails so nicely between... Uh, my first psalm teaching for those of you who were here and and then judges so you know a lot's happened but we'll I'm going to attempt to kind of bring it all together so that you can see the picture of really of disobedience of the nation of Israel so when we start in in that very first verse it says the spirit of the Lord God is upon me so this is Isaiah the you know, originally they thought Isaiah wrote all 66 books, and then in 18-something, some theologians decided that 1 through 39 were Isaiah's and that there was this unknown author for the balance. Um, Timing-wise, it's Babylonian captivity, uh, but these particular verses are written right after they return from exile. So they're really happy. It's a good time, and they're, they want to hear from the Lord, and so that's a good thing. And so I started getting into it, and this ver- the, just this section of this verse says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, and of course me being Jesus. So we've got the Trinity right here. We've got the Holy Spirit, we've got the Son, and we've got the Father. And the Son is basically saying, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And so I started looking. Isaiah eleven two points also to that anointing. It says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So that's before this particular verse. And then in Matthew 3, 17, uh, he comes up out of the water. He goes to John the Baptist. You all know the story. And he says, well, I'm not worthy. You should be baptized me. Says for, Jesus says, let's do it this way for now. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And then finally, in Luke 4.18, for those of you who are taking notes, the setting is uh, Jesus is going to Nazareth, and as the custom of that day, a, a traveling rabbi would be invited into to, to the uh, sanctuary, to the, to the synagogue, and he would teach. And so they hand him the book of Isaiah, and he reads. He says, The Spirit of the Lord... This is Luke 4.18, is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover and recovery of sight to the blind, 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then he does like the Jesus mic drop, boom, and he sits down and he says, I'm the one that was written about. And I mean, it's just this dramatic moment. And they're all like, he's doing it to us again. This Jesus guy, he just keeps doing this to us every time. And so, again, you know, when you think about the Bible, the Old Testament, Jesus concealed. And so that verse in uh, 61.1 is, is Jesus concealed. And then in the New Testament, we have Jesus revealed. And so the Bible does. It's its, its own commentary. It speaks to itself all these prophecies that point to the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. And so, you know, I, I found that really interesting because basically he's saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I read where his father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. We know the dove, the Holy Spirit descended upon him at that baptism, and he started his ministry. So at this point, he's about a year into his ministry, and so, of course, they invite him into the sanctuary because they're hearing all about these miracles he's doing, and everybody's excited about that. Who doesn't like a good miracle? And, um, you know, and... Uh, and so, I mean, that stage is set. So I said, said to myself, okay, so basically we're saying these are my credentials that Jesus is saying my Father has anointed me because the Lord has anointed me. So then I started looking at those anointings. In Psalm 45, 7, it says, You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So basically Jesus has an unlimited anointing of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and that testifies to his majesty, that testifies to his deity, and, um, and that's how we know who he is, because the Bible tells us so. I mean, it's, it's simple when we put it in terms of the Bible that we can understand, the Bible tells us so. Um, and so uh, when, when I started looking at it further, I said, well, wait now. I thought about, you know, according to the order of Melchizedek. So I started thinking, well, what else validates that Jesus was who he said he was? If we go to Hebrews 5.1, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices of sin. And then in the sixth verse of that same chapter, he says, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is referred to only once in the Old Testament, Genesis 14, 18, where it says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the God most high. So Melchizedek was the, this priest and king in Salem whom Abram gave a tenth of all his spoils. And so that was like the first recorded tithe. And so the Jews would have understood this because Jesus is basically saying, I'm the great high priest from the order of Melchizedek. You guys have high priests from the Arianic line post the formation of the Jewish nation, but I'm from this old, old order from before your nation was even formed. I was the great high priest from that line. And so, um, again, the Bible testifies of his greatness and and I'm happy about that. And so, uh, you know, that really spoke to me. In Psalm 26 and 7, it says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord. And so, you know, how beautiful is that? Um, the fact that 
we have this great high priest who's been anointed by God himself, who, um, who, who then came to preach good tidings. So that brings us to good tidings. Good tidings uh, was also referred to as the good news. And from the, from the Anglo-Saxon origin, origin it, it was God's spell or the word of God. And so, you know, in John, and we'll kind of get to some of that, in John 1.1, 1, 1, he says, and the word was with God, and the, or I'm sorry, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So John tells of the word, and in John 1.14, verse 14 of that same chapter, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So it's well established who the word was, and the gospel then speaks of the goodness of the Messiah. And, um, and then it's just a matter of, of those that that testify to his greatness and everyone should do that um and that's what we're here for and that's what makes it so special so there's of course if you look at the gospels then in keeping with the message matthew mark luke and john matthew presents the redeemer as the promised king of the kingdom of god mark declares him a prophet mighty in deed and word luke portrays christ as the savior of sinners and John, the baby of the bunch whom Jesus loved, represents Christ as the Son of God, in whom deity and humanity become one. And so they recognized his, his deity, wrote about it, because um, that, that same word has evangelical, so an evangelist writes of the gospel. And so they wrote those four gospels as testimony to the deity of Christ. And so... I thought that was really, that really spoke to me, you know, that not only did he become flesh and walk amongst us, gospels were written about him, most written about guy in the world ever, and um, and he was, he was honored accordingly, so, so I think that is good news indeed, and as I kind of sorted through things, it struck me that he preached good tidings to the poor. And they're the, they're the easiest group to preach to because, I mean, you're poor, you, and the Bible teaches the poor will always be among us, you know, kind of a nation will be judged out by how well it treats them. And so they receive, they really receive, you know, the poor, the we ones. He wants to talk to them. He wants to draw them to him. In James 2.5, he says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those uh, who love him? And so we know that he, he has a special, this special place. Uh, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, when he spoke, when Jesus spoke then, back in um, Luke 4.18, he didn't go through the whole list. There were seven in the list here in 61, but he stops at, the sixth one, after to accept the accept to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, he says the day of vengeance of our God. Now that doesn't happen. He's in the present, speaking to them in the synagogue that day. But the day of the Lord won't happen until His glorious appearing. So he stops there. He doesn't speak to that, nor does he speak to number seven on the list. So I thought it important to point that out. But we have established that he has been anointed. And, you know, Pastor Chuck used to say, where God guides, God provides. Where God appoints, God anoints. 
And so, you know, that did. It spoke to me because in the last men's breakfast, someone was saying, well, you know, how do I know, you know, if I have this gift and should I stretch and try and do it? Well, you'll know. And so I started thinking, you know, I like to create stories in my head. I've been too serious too long, sleep deprivation. And uh, so I thought, well, Twilight Zone, Pastor, I know Pastor Mike likes Twilight Zone. So I created this Twilight Zone uh, series in my head. It's an alternate universe. This guy named Jesse it does it trades in Far Eastern goods, and he's into silks and this stuff, but he's got this cat problem. He's got this horrible cat and snake problem, and he doesn't know what to do. So, you know, he's got these boys, and they're all full of themselves, but he's got this youngster that he makes, you know, mind the cats. His name's David. So David's the cat herder, and he's got, you know, a ton and a half of litter. He's got a bunch of that stuff they put on the back of the cat's neck and um, revolution. He's set. He's got three years' worth of revolution. He's got a year and a half worth of cat litter, probably a little more. And um, he's doing it, and he's got some promise. He might get an expanded job description because they're thinking about bringing in some mongooses to deal with the snakes, so he could mine those too. So let's fast forward now. These pesky little Philistines, they come into the country, and David says, well, you know, I think I can take them. No, you can't. You haven't been anointed, appointed to do that work. You're a cat herder. You can't do that. And so that was the scenario I created for myself, just wild and crazy, so that I could understand if David wasn't equipped. And so let's think about how the Lord equipped David. Okay, he's... The ruddy guy, you know, the youngest, get out of here, go tend those sheep. And, <laughs> and, um, and so he's out here, he's killing bears and lions with this slingshot to protect the sheep. Sheep are the dumbest creatures on earth. They have this one long jaw that comes down here with no front teeth. So they can just rip upward and not tear the whole roots out of the grass. Then they've got these big flat molars back here, way back here, that, you know, gnaw it up and chew it up and make it digestible. If a wolf gets in their enclosure, it's bloody. He kills for sport, and he'll, he'll kill all of them if he can, let alone a pack of wolves. Just forget about it. They can, they can um, barely see. They know the shepherd's voice, and they go to the shepherd, right? They like still water because if they get near rushing water and their wool gets wet, they'll drown. They're, they, they're, they're just not equipped. They need a shepherd. If they fall over on their side, their lungs will, they'll lay there, their lungs fill up with water, and they die. So they need a shepherd. And David not only killed lions and bears to protect them, and, and the wolves, not to mention wolves, but he also shepherded them. I mean, he picked feces off their backside. He tended them, mended them. If you had a stray that kept running away, he would break its leg, then he'd mend the leg, and then he would carry that lamb on his neck until the leg healed, and that lamb would never stray from him again. So not only was he equipped to deal with the giant, but he was also equipped to deal with, you know, his future uh, royalty status and the people. Not as equipped as Solomon, because he prayed for wisdom, but... Nonetheless, he was equipped. And so that really did speak to me because the guys are saying, well, you know, how do I know if I have this gift? You'll know. Like Pastor Mike, when he came out here, I guarantee you his pastor probably watched him for maybe years before he even told him, yeah, you're a pastor. He probably already knew it before Pastor Mike did. And so he ordained him. He anointed him. I mean, 
it was serious. The Old Testament definitely speaks of anointing if the, they had a special oil that the priests mixed. And if they mixed that oil for common use, I'll mix up a little and bring it to you. It's really good stuff. They would be excommunicated, which meant they were outside the camp. And Well, probably the wrong word. But you get what I'm saying. I mean, they're out. They're, they're kicked out of the tribe. They're out there trying to survive in the wild. And so they took that anointing very seriously. And um, I'm glad I got to share that because it really did speak to me. So he's going to heal the brokenhearted. He's going to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And so, you know, it made me think about John eight thirty four through 36. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So... Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. That's good news. I mean, the whole Jesus thing is good news. It's a gift. All we have to do is accept it and abide. And then the word became flesh and read the word. You want to be closer to Jesus, like Pastor Mike says, read your word. Because it's what will show you what you should be doing. It's what will intertwine itself into every fabric of your life if you let it. And it will guide and direct your steps. And so it's a gift. It's a gift that just keeps on giving, literally. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day, well, let's take that one first. The acceptable year of the Lord would have referred to the year of Jubilee. So there are, you know, seven years, let the fields go fallow. Um, uh, They didn't observe that, and they definitely didn't observe the year of Jubilee when all land should have gone back to the original owners. Let's say you had fallen on hard times and sold the North 40. Why, in the year of Jubilee, you got that back. Let's say one of your relatives had fallen on hard times and sold themselves into slavery. In the year of Jubilee, they would be freed. Uh, But they hadn't observed the the year of Jubilee, they hadn't even observed, you know, their requirements on the seven-year marks. As a matter of fact, they spent almost 70 years in captivity in Babylon. One year for each Sabbath they didn't observe. So that means 490 years these guys were disobedient before God finally dragged them off. Um, The only thing worse than the Babylonians might have been the Assyrians. But, you know, it's back to, and that, that goes back to my last teaching, where we were in Judges, and we talked about um, the disobedience of Moses, and then Moses gets the first uh, virtual reality. So God you know, gave him this new fancy virtual reality, put it on Moses' head, and he saw the entire promised land, and it was really cool. He didn't get to go in because he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock to make water come forth. And then, of course, Joshua takes over, steps down into the Jordan with the Ark of the Covenant, the Jordan parts. This is no normal parting. This isn't a babbling brook. This isn't the normal-sized Jordan. This is at the rainy season. The thing is, I don't know, two, three miles wide and ferociously roaring with water that is looks uncrossable. So um, then we went to the, the, the uh, misbehaving uh, group again. Then they go into captivity for about eight years with Kushan, Ruth, I am or whatever his name was. And so then Caleb delivers him. That was, that was Joshua's, uh, um, I'm sorry, Othniel, which was Caleb's brother, some say. 
and uh, delivers them. And so then they walk with the Lord, and then he dies, and then they go back to doing what they're doing. And 490 years later, they finally, you know, are released, and that's where we are here. And so he's going to preach to the downtrodden, and if we can, we just got to break the sin cycle because we know it's there. It's not just the Israelis. It's a sin cycle in our own lives. The more spiritually mature, mature we get, we sin less. Hopefully we're not just out there blatantly practicing sin, but we still do it. And we know we do it. It's, we've all got our thing. I always say we've all got our thing. So as you get more spiritually mature, the things become lesser. You know, I like to leave the TV up loud and I know my wife doesn't like it. So whatever it is, you know, let's really just strive to stay in the spirit and love on each other, and um, speak truth and love, and, and we'll be just fine. I mean, God's done an amazing work here. He really has. But we know that it's God, you know, where God guides, God provides. That's Pastor Chuck. Not all Calvaries do it, but we've never passed a plate in here, and God has provided for all of our needs, right? We've got an anointed pastor who's walking with the Lord, you know, and he's given us saints. When I look out, and at, uh, and I look at the the, the uh, gifts that I know the saints have, the grace that he's given us, that's powerful to me. I mean, we've got the makings of uh, um, a phenomenal... T- I mean, you guys don't see it because you're just sitting here, you know, in this... But uh, we started, Pam and I and, and Carrie, at a church just this size. It was the gas station church. Our pastor did the same thing, sold everything, moved out. And, um, you know, now they're in a huge building. They bought the whole Y out, and I don't know thousands of people I'm, my head's swimming when I go it's like don't be late you won't get a seat and then the overflow room which is probably three times this size is jam-packed too and you're like God's amazing he's just amazing to see this and then go there and then you know it's like well what's going on he can do that yeah he can do that you know where God guides God provides and he anoints and gives us the gifts and we'll know when we have them then he goes on to say to comfort all who mourn uh, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. So you think about Samuel pouring that anointing oil over Saul's head, um, but then you say, well, wait a minute, was Saul really anointed? I mean, yes, he was. But that's God's permissive will versus his perfect will. So his permissive will is, we want a king. All the other nations have a king. We then we should have our own king because they have a king. So I call him the Fabio king. You know, he was a head taller than everyone else. He had these long flowing locks. And so I think of him as Fabio. And so here's Fabio. And, but Fabio doesn't really care. He doesn't have a heart for the people. You know, he just doesn't. But David, he does. David's the perfect will who they should have waited for. Or they may have never had if they just let God be among them and rule and reign in their lives, but they didn't, so they got what they got. But my point is, they're still permissive versus perfect will. I'd rather be in the Lord's perfect will, but he works with us, so we make mistakes along the way. There are course corrections, and that's why he says, I work it all together for good. We don't even see it, but he's going to work it all out in such a way that we're covered. And so from glory to glory, we don't have to worry because... We're his anointed. We're his children, and he feeds the birds of the air, and he's going to take care of us too. So beauty for ashes. So he's going to exchange just these beautiful gifts for sackcloth. He's going to exchange a royal robe for sackcloth. You walk in, you've got ashes literally on your head. You've torn your garments. You've got this burlap bag on. And then he takes you, and he cleans you up, and he gives you beauty for ashes. And the oil of joy for mourning. 
That's to me amazing. He anoints us and then he works through us. And all we have to do is abide. We used to have Pastor Dan over in Savannah he used to go, go, oh, you know, he's like this orange tree and he's trying to produce apples. Uh, apple. No, he, he can't make the apple, of course. But, you know, so then he says, well, if you abide, abide in the vine and it becomes effortless. The yoke is then light because we're just abiding and doing what we're supposed to do in the, in the body. And then it's so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. Uh, so the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's just beautiful to me. I get a garment of praise in my heaviness. So he knows what we need. He knows when we need it. It does. It rains on the just and the unjust. Oh, a year and a half ago, I was laying in a hospital bed, and they were saying, well, it might be cancer. Pastor Mike came to see me every night, and he looked at me. What do you think? I said, I think it rains on the just and the unjust. And since then, you know, I made a complete recovery. Every lab has been perfect since then. But uh, just be ready because God can change things. He just can change things so fast that you just never see it coming. Pastor Dan, I thought for sure he would, like, die in Savannah. He'd be at that church in forever. So I'm doing this uh, we do a year and a half, you know, study in his home. We just got together. We loved to. And we went through books, and we laid hands on each other, and we spoke in tongues, and somebody interpreted. It was, it was a wonderful time. It taught me a lot. And that's where, you know, he said, hey, if you desire these gifts, pray for them. If you want to speak in tongues, pray. You know, if you do it with a pure heart and the Lord knows you need it, he'll, he'll give it to you. He'll equip you for that. If so, And so I learned a lot from that, but stuff starts disappearing from his house. You know, I'm like looking, well, if you want any of those reference books over there, take them. So by the time he got to the cornflakes in the cabinet, I was like, wait a minute, Pastor, now come on now. And so, yeah, the doctor told him, if you want to live, you have to leave here. He had just these spores just grabbing into his lungs. And so I was, I mean, we were all shocked before we knew it. That was that. And we never saw that coming. We, Pam and I never saw us at a church in South Carolina. We hadn't been praying for one the Russos had, but we hadn't. I mean, it never crossed our mind, really. It was like, pfft. and then he calls one day and says, yeah, you know, I talked to Charles, and he said, give you a call, and blah, 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 and the rest is history. So God, he just takes us where he wants. And so it's, it's our responsibility to be prayed up, stay in the word, you know, really let it lead and direct us. Because he's got special things for us that they may call that they may be called trees of righteousness, which goes back to my Psalm one teaching. Blessed are the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. We talked about not taking counsel from godless people, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his, so you don't linger with them, you don't sit down with them, uh, come out from among them in the world, but not of the world. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And so that's what that verse reminded me of, that they may be called trees of righteousness that brings forth its fruit in season. So, hey, we're, we're a tree. We're planted by water. We're watering the tree. We're getting watered, and we're producing fruit, and it's effortless, and we're just abiding in the vine. And that's how he intends it. Whose leaf also should not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Remember, he's got the, the uh, winnowing fan in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean his threshing floor. And the chaff will be burned up with unquenchable fire. I wouldn't want to be chaff on the Lord's threshing floor when he's got that winnowing fan in his hand. I know not what I would do if I find myself in that situation. So, Nor sinners in the congregation... 
of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Not that we have to worry about that, but I just thought that dovetailed so nicely with my Psalm 1 teaching. I was like, okay, well, I guess I am supposed to teach even though, you know. So I got through the rough part, but the last part really blessed me. So he says, the planting of the, 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 planting of the Lord that he may, may be glorified. I'll read those two together. That they may, may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. So the last passage I'll read is Psalm 19, 1 through 14. It really spoke to me as well. Again, Psalm 19, 1 through 14. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto, unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine silver. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from my secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless. And I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So he is indeed our kinsman redeemer. And um, he will come for his bride. So that said, I encourage all of you to stay in the word and uh, be encouraged because he, uh, he made us all the way we are. You know, we may desire this gift versus that gift, but... He made us perfect in his eyes, so he gave us the gift that he wanted us to use to glorify him, or the gift. Some have more than one. I, I don't know. I mean, not many, but some do. It's like a multi-trunk tree that's apple on this uh, pear on this, uh, however that works. I don't know, but all I know is that he loves us, and he wants us to love each other, and he wants us to patch each other up when we get in here, and then when we walk out that door, we go back to the mission field, and then we'll patch each other up again on Sunday.